0: SECTION 11 OF THE FAIRCHILD FAMILY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by barnard de Jong The Fairchild Family by Mary Martha Sherwood The History of the Orphan Boy In a little flowery valley near Tenterden, there lived once a certain farmer who had a wife and one little boy, whose name was Martin, the farmer and his wife were people who feared God and loved their neighbors, and though they were not rich, they were contented. In the same parish lived two gentlemen named Squire Broom and Squire Blake, as the country people called them. Squire Broom was a man who feared God, but Squire Blake was one of those men who cared for nothing beyond the things of this world. He was a very rich man and was considered by the neighbors to be good-tempered. His lady kept a plentiful house and was glad to see anyone who came. They had no children, and as they had been married many years, it was thought they never would have any. Squire Broom was not so rich as Squire Blake, and though a very worthy man, was not of such pleasing manners, so that many people did not like him, though in times of distress he was one of the kindest friends in the world. Squire Broom had a very large family, which he brought up in an orderly, pious manner, but some of the neighbours did not fail to find fault with him for being too strict with his children. When little martin was about three years of age his father was killed as he was going to and market by a fall from his horse this was so great a grief to his mother who loved her husband very dearly that she fell immediately into a bad state of health and though she lived as much as two years after her husband yet she was all that time a dying woman there was nothing in the thought of death which made this poor woman unhappy at any time excepting when she considered that she must leave her little martin to strangers and this grieved her the more because little martin was a very tender child and had always been so from his birth it happened a few weeks before her death as little martin's mother was lying on her couch that one mrs short who lived in tenterden and spent her time in gossiping from house to house came bustling into the room where martin's mother lay i am come to tell you said she that squire blake's lady will be here just now it is some time since i have seen mrs blake said martin's mother but it is kind of her to visit me in my trouble." Whilst she was speaking, Mr. Blake's carriage came up to the door, and Mrs. Blake stepped out. She came into the parlour in a very free and friendly manner, and, taking Martin's mother by the hand, she said she was very sorry to see her looking so ill. Indeed, said the sick woman, I'm very ill, dear madam, and I think that I cannot live longer than a few weeks. But God's will be done. I have no trouble in leaving this world but on account of little Martin, yet I know that God will take care of him, and that I ought not to be troubled on his account. Mrs. Blake then answered, As you have begun to speak upon the subject, I will tell you what particularly brought me here today. She then told her, as she and Mr. Blake had a large fortune and no family, they were willing to take little Martin at her death and provide for him as their own. This was a very great and kind offer, and most people would have accepted it with joy, but the pious mother recollected that mr blake was one who declared himself to be without religion and she could not think of leaving her little boy to such a man accordingly she thanked mrs blake for her kind offer for a very kind offer it was and said that she should feel obliged to her till her dying moment but added she i cannot accept of your friendship for my little boy as i have a very dear friend who would be disobliged if i did so mrs blake turned red and was offended for she had never once thought it possible that Martin's mother should refuse her offer, and Mrs. Short lifted up her hands and eyes, and looked as if she thought the poor sick woman little better than a fool. "'Well,' said Mrs. Blake, "'I am surprised, I must confess. However, you must know your own affairs best. But this I must say, that I think Martin may live long enough without having such another offer.' "'And I must say that you are standing in the child's way,' said Mrs. Short.' why mr blake can do ten times more for the child than his father could have done had he lived a hundred years and i think it very ungrateful and foolish in you to make such a return for mr and mrs blake's kindness and pray said mrs blake who is this dear friend who would be so much disobliged by your allowing us to take the boy i suppose it is squire broom said mrs short for who else can it be yes said mrs blake i have no doubt it is for mr broom never loved my husband but, added she, looking at Martin's mother, you do very wrong if you think Mr. Broom could do as much for the child, even if he were willing, as my husband. Mr. Broom is not rich, and he has a great many children, whereas Mr. Blake has a very handsome fortune, and no near relation in the world. However, as you have once refused, I do not think I would take the boy now, even if you were to ask me." I am very sorry, answered Martin's mother, to appear unthankful to you, and perhaps, as I am a dying woman, I ought to tell you the true reason of my refusing your offer, though it may make you very angry. I do not doubt but that you would be kind to little Martin, and I know that you have more to give him than his father could have had. She then, in a very delicate manner, hinted at Mr. Blake's irreligious opinions, and acknowledged that it was on the account of these that she had refused his protection for her son the lord jesus christ added she is the dear friend i spoke of my dear madam and the one i am afraid to offend by accepting mr blake's offer you are welcome to tell mr blake all i say mrs blake made no answer but got up and wishing martin's mother and mrs short a good morning went away very much offended when mrs short was left with the sick woman she failed not to speak her mind to her and that very plainly by telling her that she considered her little better than a fool for what she had done. Martin's mother answered, I am willing to be counted a fool for Christ's sake. The next day, Martin's mother sent for Squire Broom, and when she had told him all that had passed between herself and Mrs. Blake, she asked him if he would take charge of poor little Martin when she was dead, and also of what little money she might leave behind her, and see that the child was put to a good school squire broom promised that he would be a friend to the boy to the best of his power and martin's mother was sure that he would do what he promised for he was a good man and now not to make our story too long i must tell you that martin's mother grew weaker and weaker and about three weeks after she had this conversation with mrs blake she was found one morning dead in her bed and it was supposed she died without pain as susan the maid who slept in the same room had not heard a move or utter a sigh. She was buried in tented in churchyard, and Squire Broom, as he had promised, took charge of all her affairs. And now, after having done with little Martin's good mother, I shall give you the history of the little boy himself, from the day when he was awoke and found his poor mother dead, and you shall judge whether God heard his mother's prayer and whether he took care of the poor little orphan. Martin's mother was buried on the Saturday evening, on Sunday, little Martin went and stood by his mother's grave, and no one but Susan could persuade him to come away. On Monday morning, Squire Broom came in a one-horse chase to take him to school at Ashford. The master of the school at the time was a conscientious man, but Squire Broom did not know that he was so severe in the management of children as he proved to be. Little Martin cried very much when he was put in the one-horse chase with Squire Broom. "'Oh, let me stay with Susan. Let me live with Susan!' he said what said Squire Broom and never learn to read you must go to school to learn to read and other things a man should know Susan shall teach me to read said little Martin Squire Broom promised him that he should come back in the summer and see Susan and little Martin tried to stop crying when little Martin got to Ashford school he was turned into a large stone hall where about fifty boys were playing he had never seen so many boys before and he was frightened and he crept into a corner they all got around him, and asked him a great many questions, which frightened him more, and he began to cry and call for Susan. This set the boys a-laughing, and they began to pull him about and tease him. Little Martin was a pretty child. He was very fair, and had beautiful blue eyes and red lips, and his dark brown hair curled all over his head, but he had always been a very tender in his health, and the kickings and thumpings and beatings he got amongst the boys, instead of making him hardy, made him the more sickly and drooping. The boys used to rise very early, and after they had been an hour in the school, they played in the churchyard, for the schoolroom stands in the churchyard, till the bell rang to call them to breakfast. In the schoolroom, there was only one fireplace, and the lesser boys would never get near it, so that little Martin used to be so numbed with cold in the mornings, for winter was coming, that he could scarcely hold his book and his feet and hands became so swelled with chilblains that when the other boys went out to play he could only creep after them he was so stupefied with cold that he could not learn he even forgot his letters though he had known them all when his mother was alive and in consequence he got several floggings when his mother was living he was a cheerful little fellow full of play and quick in learning but now he became so dull and cast down and he refused to eat and he would cry and fret if anyone did but touch him his poor little feet and hands were sore and bleeding with cold, so that he was afraid anyone should come near to touch him. As the winter advanced, it became colder and colder, and little Martin got a very bad cough, and grew very thin. Several people remarked to the schoolmaster, ''Little Martin is not well. He gets very thin.'' ''Oh, he will be better,'' the master would answer, ''when he is more used to us. Many children, when they first come to school, pine after home, but what can I do for him?'' I must not make any difference between him and the other boys. One morning, in the beginning of December, when the boys were playing in the churchyard before breakfast, little Martin, not being able to run or scarcely to walk by reason of his chilblains, came creeping after them. His lips were blue and cold, and his cheeks white. He looked about for some place where he might be sheltered a little from the cold wind, and at length he ventured to creep into the porch of an old house which stood on the side of the churchyard. The door of the house was open a little way, and Martin peeped in. He saw within a small, neat kitchen, where was a bright fire. An elderly maidservant was preparing a breakfast before the fire. The tea kettle was boiling, and the toast and butter and muffins stood ready to be carried into the parlour. A large old cat slept before the fire, and in one corner of the kitchen was a parrot upon a stand. Whilst Martin was peeping in and longing for a bit of toast and butter, a little old lady, dressed in a grey silk gown, wearing a mob cap and long ruffles, came into the kitchen by the inner door. She first spoke to the parrot, then stroked the cat, and then, turning towards the porch door, she said, speaking to the maid, Hannah, why do you leave the door open? The wind comes in very cold. So saying, she was going to push the door to when she saw poor little Martin. She observed his black coat his little bleeding hands and his pale face, and she felt very sorry for him. "'What little fellow are you?' she said, as she held the door in her hand. "'Where do you come from, and what do you want at my door?' "'My name is Martin,' he answered, and I am very cold. "'Do you belong to the school, my dear?' said she. "'Yes, ma'am,' he answered. "'My mother is dead, and I am very cold.' "'Poor little creature,' said the old lady, whose name was Lovell. "'Do you hear what he says, Hannah? His mother is dead.' and he is very cold. Do, Hannah, run over to the schoolhouse and ask the master if he will give this little boy leave to stay and breakfast with me. Hannah set down a teacup, which she was wiping, and looked at Martin. Poor young creature, she said. It is a pity that such a babe as this should be in a public school. Come in, little one, whilst I run in over to your master and ask leave for you to stay a little with my mistress. Hannah soon returned with the master's leave, and poor little Martin went gladly upstairs into Mrs. Lovell's parlour. There Mrs. Lovell took off his wet shoes and damp stockings and hung them to the fire, while she rubbed his little numbed feet till they were warm. In the meantime Hannah brought up the tea things and toast and butter, and set all of the things in order upon the round table. "'You are very good,' said little Martin to Mrs. Lovell. "'I will come and see you every day.' "'You shall come as often as you please,' said Mrs. Lovell if you are a good little boy then i will come at breakfast time and at dinner time and at supper time said martin mrs Lovell smiled and looked at hannah who was bringing up the cream pot followed by the cat puss took her place very gravely at one corner of the table without touching anything is that your cat ma'am said martin yes said mrs Lovell. and see how well she behaves she never asks for anything but waits till she is served do you think you can behave as well?' "'I will try, ma'am,' said Martin. Mrs. Lovell then bade Martin to fetch himself a chair, and they both sat down to breakfast. Martin behaved so well at breakfast that Mrs. Lovell invited him to come to her at dinner time, and said she would send Hannah to his master for leave. She then put on his dry shoes and stockings, and as the bell rang, she sent him over to the school. When school broke up at twelve o'clock, she sent Hannah again for him, and he came running upstairs, full of joy." This is a half holiday, ma'am," he said, "and I may stay with you till bedtime, and I will come again to breakfast in the morning." "Very well," said Mrs. Lovell. "But if you come here so often, you must do everything I bid you, and everything which Hannah bids you, the same as I did my poor mother." "And to Susan," said Martin. "Yes, my dear," said Mrs. Lovell. "Then I will, ma'am," said Martin. So Martin sat down to dinner with Mrs. Lovell, and at dinner he told her all he knew of himself and his mother, and after dinner, when she gave him leave, he went down to the kitchen to visit Hannah, and to talk to the parrot, and to look about him till tea time. At tea time he came up again, and after tea, Mrs. Lovell brought out a large Bible full of pictures, and told him one or two stories out of the Bible, showing him the pictures. At night, Hannah carried him home, and he went warm and comfortable to bed. Mrs. Lovell grew every day fonder of little Martin, and as the little boy promised, he went to Mrs. Lovell's at breakfast, dinner, and supper, and Mrs. Lovell took the same care of him as his mother would have done, had she been living. She took charge of his clothes, mending them when they wanted it, prepared warm and soft woolen stockings for him, procured him a great coat to wear in school, and got him some thick shoes to play in. She also would see that he learned his lessons well every day, to carry up to his master, she then practised him in reading out of school hours, so that it was surprising how quickly he now got on with his books. But the best of all was that Mrs. Lovell from day to day gave such holy teaching to little Martin as was best adapted to make him a good man in after life. and God blessed her teaching, and the boy soon became all that she could desire. A little before Christmas, Squire Broom came over to Ashford to see little Martin, and determined in his own mind if he saw the child unwell or not happy to take him home and bring him up amongst his own children, for Mrs. Broom had said that she thought little Martin almost too young to be at a public school without a friend near him. Martin was standing in Mrs. Lovell's parlour window, which looked into the churchyard when he saw Squire Broom's one-horse chaise draw up in the schoolhouse door. Without speaking a word, he ran downstairs and across the churchyard and taking Squire Broom's hand as he stepped out of the chaise i have got another mother sir he said a very good mother and i love her with all my heart and her name is lovel and you must come to see her why my little man said squire broom you look very well and quite fat when squire broom heard from the master what a kind friend martin had found and was told by all his friends in ashford what a worthy woman mrs lovel was everybody in ashford knew mrs lovel's good character he was very much pleased on little martin's account and said his poor mother's prayers were now answered little martin could not be contented till he had brought squire broom to see mrs Lovell and to drink tea with her during this visit mrs Lovell asked mr broom if martin might spend his christmas holidays with her and from that time the little boy spent all his holidays with mrs Lovell. in the summer holidays she often took him to a farmhouse in the country where she had lodgings and there he had the pleasure of seeing the haymaking and hop-gathering and all the country work and of running about in the fields once or twice she took him to tenterden to see his old friends particularly susan who lived with her mother in tenterden martin became a fine boy and as he grew in stature he grew in grace he was very fond of reading and soon he became one of the best scholars of his age in the school as Mrs. Lovell got older, her eyes became dim, and then Martin read to her and managed her accounts, and was in all things as a dutiful son to her. Martin continued with Mrs. Lovell till it was time he should leave school, and as he wished to become a clergyman in order that he might spend his life in the service of God, Mrs. Lovell paid for his going to the university. When Martin had been the proper time at university, he was ordained a clergyman, and he then returned to Mrs. Lovell and soon afterwards he got a living in a pretty village in Kent. There he went to reside, and Mrs. Lovell, who was now become very old indeed, lived with him. He was as kind to her and to Hannah as if he had been their own child, and indeed it was but his duty to be so. He did everything to make their last years happy and their deaths easy. Mrs. Lovell left all she had when she died to Martin, so that he was enabled to live in great comfort, some time after Mrs. Lovell's death, he married Squire Broom's youngest daughter, who made him a kind and good wife, and helped him to bring up their children well. Susan, who was now an elderly woman, took the place of Hannah when Hannah died, and never left her master till she herself died of old age. By this time it was one o'clock, and the haymakers left off their work, and sat down in a row by the brookside to eat their dinner mr fairchild called to his children from the place where he was lying at a little distance saying my dears i begin to feel hungry lucy and emily see what betty brought in the basket this morning and you henry go to the brook and bring some water so henry took an empty pitcher out of the basket and ran gaily down to the brook to fetch some water whilst lucy and emily spread a clean napkin on the grass on which they placed the knives and the forks and plates with the loaf and cheese and the fruit pie, and a bottle of beer for their papa, for Betty was gone back to the house, and when they had said grace, they dined, after which the children went to play in the coppice and amongst the hay for a little while, when they had played as much as their mamma thought fit, and they came back, and sat down to work, as they had done in the morning, whilst Henry read the story in Lucy's book. End of section 11